This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Interest rates are higher, and if people don't like that, you should be welcoming a stronger economy. Maybe a deal had a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. The United States is a country that has always paid all of its bills. Lannister always pays his debts. Don't let the bastards get you. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined, as always, by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you going? <laughs> good. I had a little <laughs> bit of mic trouble last week. This week, you're in a caravan uh, with a mic that doesn't work at all and there's rain falling on the roof from a tree. Literally just when you started, some kid crashed his bike outside, <laughs> outside the caravan. That's caravan parks. This is, this is live, baby. <laughs> this is it's happening now. We've got kids <laughs> crashing bikes into the side of caravans. Uh, strap yourself in, folks. Uh, if you do hear strange noises, uh, it is just just that's what you get in the caravan park. In- <laughs> 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 I remember a couple of weeks ago, someone said, uh, sent it, used an example of me and my potentially poorer financial situation, and the example was about how well Thomas was doing. <laughs> I would like to point out that currently Thomas is the one recording from a trailer park (laughs) on an iPhone mic uh, while I'm comfortably in my house. So um, I'm just trying to keep it real. (laughs) Stay connected. Uh, Hey, uh, we said last week um, we've got a bit of a correction to make this week. So we said ESG, we're talking about ESG last week, and we said it stood for Environmental Sustainability and Governance. We had many, many of our listeners uh, out there keen to point out that it, of course, stands for Environmental, Social and Governance, hence why uh, gambling was being screened out last week during our conversation uh, because of its social impact. So uh, ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance, uh, we stand corrected on that one. Uh, in fact, Lorna sent us an email, which is quite interesting as well. Uh, we'll try and get to that a little bit later in the show. Uh, but we have a massive, massive show coming up this week. Uh, it could be a great time to buy a used car as listings reach an all-time high. Unfortunately, the reason is that nobody has any money, so maybe it's not a great time to buy. Uh, build to rent or BTR is a thing, and that thing is going gangbusters right now. Unfortunately, most people are stuck in R to B, rent to build, which is not working out so well. But first, uh, the story of all stories this week. We had the collapse of FTX and the downfall of SBF. Now it's SVB. And I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be running a three-letter acronym organization at the moment. Thin ice. 
<laughs> yes, I'm looking at you, RBA. <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> what is SVB and why are we all talking about it? Yeah, well, I thought we should look at it here at CVE because uh, <laughs> it is big news. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's big. This is the big story. It's all, it's all over the financial papers right now. Um, and it's a, a story that's gone from zero to 100 in very quick time. Uh, mm. So SVB is uh, Silicon Valley Bank. They went into administration on Friday. They're not well known, but they're a big bank. So they're 16th biggest uh, in America. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's worth pointing out in this, like when you talk about like they're the 16th biggest bank, so that's collapse, that's big. It's the second biggest uh, banking collapse in American history. It is big. So it's mm. got US deposits of $212 billion. That's only one-tenth of JP Morgan, which is number one. So right. it's kind of like kind of like the Australian banking system that you got a few big heavyweights at the top, and then you get mm. down into sort of the the also rands pretty quickly. Right, but okay. still big. There, there's you know two hundred twelve billion in deposits. That's still that's still a big story. Worth pointing out. You mentioned the the speed of this uh, this story, and I mm. think it's worth pointing out too. We're recording on Monday, uh, public holiday here actually in South Australia for the race that stops the suburb, the Adelaide Cup, um, <laughs> and. So, yeah, this story is running so quickly. So by the time you hear this, everything could be different. Mm. Yeah, where are we at? Where are we at right now? Where, or where is SVB at right now, Silicon Valley Bank? They've been sort of seized effectively by, by state regulators in California and said like, okay, you guys are bust and we're taking over. But it was only that happened on Friday US time. It was only Wednesday that SVB announced that they needed to were going to the market to try and raise some capital, um, right. ironically, to install confidence in their balance sheet <laughs> didn't work <laughs> didn't work people didn't buy their, <laughs> their yeah. confidence boosting capital raising yeah when a bank says we're broke and we need money <laughs> ten, tends to not fill the market with confidence one of the articles that i was reading there was a quote this guy basically saying um he goes it was ryan falvey who's a fintech investor uh at restive ventures and he was um, talking to cnbc and he goes when you say hey get your deposits out this thing is going to that's like yelling fire in a crowded theatre. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I thought, that's not really a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like yelling fire in a theatre is only a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy if you're also holding a lit match under one of the seats. <laughs> like I get the point yeah, he was yeah. trying to make, <laughs> but it's, I, didn't, I didn't feel like he quite hit the nail on the head. No. Run, everyone, I'm starting a fire. <laughs> So they did. They did kind of announce it, and then yeah, it was a bit self fulfilling. But yeah, well, the panic pedic set in, and so it was sort of an old school bank run in that sense. Mm. And there's something like forty two billion dollars withdrawn on Friday before regulators stepped in. So like a quarter of their deposits in a single day, trying to be liquidated from the bank, and the bank just couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, it happened very quick, and and once once yeah, and there's like. You know, in the old school days of the bank run, you had to go to the bank and get your money out. Now you're just clicking mm. buttons. And so, yeah, it happened at lightning speed. Especially being Silicon Valley Bank. Like this is the home of, yeah. <laughs> of big tech. <laughs> no Has anyone got a computer? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, collapsed into, into administration, taken over by the FDIC, the, um, so the, the federal government. Um, Board that, body that looks after these sort of things. Mm. 
Yeah, and and they're, and they're sort of winding it up and trying to get money back to people. The US has a deposit guarantee scheme. It's called something else, but in Australia we have it as well. It's a deposit guarantee scheme, and it's uh, all deposits up to two hundred and fifty thousand are guaranteed by the government. And so, right. no matter what happens, you're going to get that money bank money back. Because this was a sort of a commercial bank and, and working with you know a lot of venture capital firms, particularly with the tech sector, there's a lot of businesses and the deposits would have been much larger. So the real the real interesting question was um, how, like how those big depositors were they going to see any of their money back? Mm. And then Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who's who's in our intro, she came out <laughs> on Sunday. The, that, that competition's finished, Thomas. Oh. We've, we've moved on. <laughs> okay, right. But she came out and said, actually, we're going to we're going to guarantee all the depositors are getting their money back. They're all protected. Everyone's going to get get their money back. <laughs> Can you just tell those kids in the back yeah. to stop screaming? <laughs> like I get it. He's falling off his bike. He's having a tough run, yeah. but still. <laughs> Trying to record a podcast over here, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> you'll be right, hmm. champ. It's just a graze. <laughs> <laughs> that was what you said to me yeah. when you were holding me upside down in the in the hallway of our old house in Darwin, and you let me go, and my foot slashed across the louver. Yeah, and you were like, "Nah, just put a put a bandaid on it. It'll be fine." And I got nine stitches. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, anyway. so Janet Yellen said, yeah, well, everyone's getting it back. And they kind of had to do this because um, there was a real chance that panic would set in. And so you have these tiers in the American banking system where it's like you have the big banks and then you have these regional and c- community banks. Um, and there was fears that a lot of these banks were facing the same story and that if deposits weren't guaranteed and people realized that they were potentially going to lose everything, that they would have just pulled their money. And then that bank run would have, you would have had contagion that would have gone to the rest of the banking system. So where we stand now is that Janet Yellen went, yep, okay, everyone's guaranteed. Everyone's going to be fine. And we'll we'll, we'll make sure we're stepping in to make sure that happens. It's not clear how they're doing that yet. There is Mm. some sort of, there's a $25 billion facility that they've set up that is somehow going to manage this and it's also the case with svb like they were insolvent but it was sort of more more of a liquidity problem because they just couldn't sell fast enough to sort of pay people out and so had to step in so it might be the case that if the government steps in they and this is what they're saying that no taxpayers american taxpayers aren't going to be on the hook everyone's going to get their money back Mm. so they might get in and do an orderly wind up and then everyone gets their money back and it's all good but so they could keep trading SVB? No. Well, they they might get bought. This is the thing. This is what oh, everyone's I saw hoping. That. There's, some, there's an auction happening for them apparently. <laughs> an auction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Janet's running it. She's right. <laughs> no, apparently there is. They're auctioning off SVB to the highest bidder. That, that's that, that's what always held out as the best case scenario. In that case, everyone right. should get their money back. Is this a bit of a? Is this a bit of a consequence of the kind of? the world that we live in now so that it doesn't sound like SVB necessarily were insolvent. They just couldn't satisfy the run. So a bit like, you know, the the short squeeze um, on mm. like GameStop or whatever it was last year. So when, when anything gets enough momentum and gets enough traction, you could just about, like I imagine any small bank, if mm. there was a whiff of, of mm. problem, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, and if that theory gains enough momentum and traction and starts getting tweeted and retweeted and passed around, yeah, it could ha- it could happen to anyone. Like, is this? Yeah, I mean, that's right. Like, confidence evaporated in SVB, and mm. everyone tried to get their money out, and that's what killed it. 
um, so it did become a self-fulfilling prophecy in that sense. It's a bit like when they're in, during COVID when they're like, don't worry, there's enough toilet paper for everyone. Everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> if there's enough, I'm taking 12 rolls then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 12 packs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, that's, that's why I may we'll talk about the dynamics that killed SVB, mm. but everyone was then looking around like what other banks have that have a similar dynamic potential mm. and Signature Bank and New York Bank had the same thing and, and there started to be a run on that and then regulators stepped in and wound that one up too. So, right. yeah, so we've now had two, we've had three effectively lenders go bust last week. Right. Yeah, Signature Bank out of New York, SVB and Silvergate, which sort of like is a crypto lender. This, uh, I don't want to be alarmist, uh, mm. but that's kind of my role here on the show. <laughs> mm. um, is this the start of the next GFC? Like, is it, this is how it, this is how it, the last one started, wasn't it? A uh, Co- couple of banks started falling over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's always the risk. Like, I mean, I think we talked about this when the UK mm. bond market blew up at the end end of last year and saying like rising rates always break something it's kind of the point and you just don't know where they where that right. break's going to happen and then where where the fault line spreads is is unpredictable like at, at this stage it doesn't look like it's going to spread to the major lenders mm-hmm. so basically svp had a lot of deposits for the tech you know tech was just getting mountains of cash poured into it through with with the easy money with QE in 2020 2021 and money was just pouring in and then that needed to go somewhere so they gave it to SVB SVB didn't lend to to the tech sector because they're startups and venture capital firms and they're not good lending businesses necessarily so they did kind of the smart thing and put it into treasuries which is like a, a safe safe investment but when, when interest rates rose, the, the face value of those treasuries fell and they, be, right. they became worth less. And that's not necessarily a problem because you just hold it to maturity and then you get your money back and you're fine. It's only mm. a problem when the firms start coming to you and wanting their money back and then you've got to liquidate those treasuries but you're selling them at a loss. Right. Yeah. And that's what happened because all the tech firms net were now running out of capital because there's a, there's a tech winter and so they went to SVB said, actually, we need the money back and then and SVB's like, okay, now I've got to sell treasuries but I'm selling them at a loss and right. we're selling them at a big loss and were quite unusual. So like I think 50% of their assets were in long-dated treasury securities and that's mm. that's very high. Like Bank of America has got like it's like twenty five percent. So they were really overweight in treasuries, which right. you know, some people are saying that was pretty stupid, and you should have been able to hedge that risk relatively easily. It's kind of a management mm. failure that they didn't. But that's what happened. So it's those rising rates decreased the value of their assets at a time when people were trying to when they had to liquidate those assets. And that's where mm. they went. That's where they went bust. And people then looked to Signature Bank, and it was the same story. And the same story with Silvergate as well. So it was that that rising rates sort of eroding the face value of their assets, which became a problem once they were forced to liquidate them. And then then you get a run dynamic. Their chief financial officer wasn't a twenty five year old Harry Potter fan by any chance, <laughs> was it? <laughs> well, but wasn't the, this the same story at, at FTX? No, that, I think they were in some pretty stupid investments. I mean, look at look at hmm. SVB. Like it, what they were doing is kind of banking best practice. You know, right. treasuries are a safe, secure asset. They're not they're not going to zero. You know, hmm. you're not you're not holding some made up token by some other crypto firm and using <laughs> yeah, that as enough. collateral. Like it's yeah. the US Treasury backed by the US government. It's a safe asset, but. The the change the rapid change in in rate settings mm. eroded the value of that asset very quickly and 
yeah, they right, were forced okay. to sell. So yeah, so it's a different a different story. Okay. So, so why that's not going to spread to the big banks is one because bit, the big banks have a different regulatory structure. So they so Donald Trump. One of the things he did is he uh, exempted small community banks from the Basel three capital requirements. So the big big banks in America have to meet these requirements. The small banks don't. And and so people are saying like, if the smaller banks had been subject to the same regulatory settings, they would they, uh, they wouldn't have been in this mess. Yeah. Look at their books. They're not they don't, they're not exposed to treasuries at the same in the same way that um, SVB was, and so they're not probably going to go bust mm, like okay. in this dynamic. So it's not it's not going to show. It doesn't look like at this stage. It's hard to see it. The contagion spreading to the big banks. Hmm. But it's going to spread somewhere because there are going to be people who are exposed to to SVB, hmm. and the one the one I saw which was which was funny was that the the Swedish pension fund, uh, Elekta, is a giant in in the Swedish pension space. That hmm. was uh, SVB's fourth biggest shareholder, and it also right. had a substantial shareholding in Signature Bank. So now Ooh. Swedish pensioners are on the hook for the collapse <laughs> in SVB. This is how it started. You just mm. started listening to the GFC. You just started hearing little pockets of people going, I had no idea I was exposed to mm. that bank. Like, yeah, so I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really interesting. Like it, it is, it, you know, it's the start of something. We knew this was coming. Mm. Like we've been talking for, for a while. Like, you know, rising rates is going to break something. That's the point. Mm. Last week it broke three banks in the US. Where that spreads to next is mm. hard to predict. It's it's un- unpredictable, and you know the, the US regulators will will circle the wagons around the US financial system, and that's probably mm. going to be okay. But it's you know what happens to the pen- the Swedish financial system, or you know where else does it go? Well, I think we're at least we're very good at managing contagion now, so we could just get all the banks to socially distance from each other. <laughs> <laughs> just. Tell SVB and Signature Bank they just need to stay home. <laughs> yeah, bank from home, now mandatory. <laughs> bank from- <laughs> All right, Thomas, what's happening in the used car market? Yeah, so used cars are back. They were you couldn't get used cars for a while, but they're now back. So there's an economist Tarek Brooker posted an interesting one to Twitter the other day, an interesting chart. So basically, yeah, used cars for sales from carsales.com.au. There's a pretty consistent seventy thousand cars for sale at any given time through twenty twenty. Then COVID hit, it dropped to about twenty five thousand and stayed there. And then has been slowly coming back and probably got back to pre COVID levels about October November last year. And since then has has seen a bit of a tick up in the early part of this year. So we're now above that COVID level. So yeah, bouncing back. Um, is it just used cars or are we seeing new cars as well? Is this a car story? I think people are buying used cars. I think what's happening is that we are seeing a lot of uh, cars come to the market. So used, mm. because of this supply supply and demand, so used car prices have fallen. So they're at the lowest, lowest level now since October 2021. New car sales are trending higher, right? Like particularly with SUVs. So SUVs are like well, actually, it's all SUVs. If you take SUVs and light commercial vehicles out of the mix, new car sales are falling. But like, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything's SUV now. There's a general consumer shift towards SUVs. So, but yeah, but sedans are falling, but SUVs are, are growing strongly. Right. What about mokes? Any mokes getting Mo- out? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, is that in not elsewhere specified, maybe? <laughs> 
Oh, do you yeah. remember that smoke? Yeah, 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 I remember. It was fun. Oh, remember, you could see the road going by underneath through the hole in the floor. Oh, no. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> Different days. So, used car, so there's tons of used cars, though. So, Tarek Brooker, he, his interpretation of that is that uh, financial stress is forcing people to bring used cars to the market. They're trying to raise money. Um, and yeah, and so that's, that's why they're bringing, bringing new cars, uh, old used cars onto the market. Right. So rising rates, inflation, all that sort of stuff, that that whole story is like people are like, oh man, I'm going to have to sell the family car, pay the mortgage or pay the the grocery shopping or whatever. Yeah. Something like that. That's a, that's not a great position to be. (laughs) No. Sell the car to pay for the groceries. You got nowhere to get the groceries home. That's horrible. Right. Yeah, but the the interesting difference there is that you see, like, there's two dynamics, like that are a bit sort of working against each other. So you would expect new car sales to be falling if, in that kind of environment. Yeah, the theory is, and it's kind of difficult to test this, but it, the theory is that renters and mortgage owners are in stress and they're selling used cars, but pensioners and people who own their own homes outright are doing well and they're buying SUVs. Right. That's sort of the idea. Mm. We look at that, the war chest of savings. So um, households accumulated a lot of excess deposits through COVID. But if you look at, if you break that down by age um, and, and include up until, up until this financial year. So if you're over 65, your deposits are 32% above trend. Yeah, so you got thirty two percent more money than would you'd expect if you're over sixty five. If you're over sixty five, yeah, your de- your deposits, your money, your cash held in a bank has gone up thirty two percent. Because like all of a sudden, you like sixty five. That's a that's the cutoff age for super, isn't it? So yeah, does your super just automatically convert to being classed as a deposit at that point because you've effectively got that in the bank? I don't. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't know that it's true, but it's above trend. So that right. dynamic of people shifting into retirement age should have should be accounted for by that, I would think. But it's an interesting question. I don't know. Because they wouldn't have they wouldn't have income. So how are they building this? <laughs> just, they've just got really good at backing horses in the sixty five years they've been alive. And now they're just because gambling winnings are tax free. So they're yeah. just killing it. Killing it on the ponies. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's probably it. That's probably it. <laughs> Uh, old Nana Margaret's got a hot tip and race for it, <laughs> Adelaide Cup today. Yeah. But yeah, but so you look at you break you break that down. So 65, 65 plus, you're thirty two percent above trend. Fifty five to sixty four, you're eighteen percent above trend. This is on UBS data. I'm not. Yeah. Mm, okay. If you're forty five to fifty four, you're thirteen percent below. Yeah. And if you're thirty five to forty four, you're eighteen percent below. So there's there's a clear sort of age correlation there that it, the, the older you are the mm. better you've done out of COVID now and I think mostly that difference is explained by the, li- the lift in mortgage rates now so mm. that's eating into those younger co- cohorts and now they're eating into that war chest because rates are rising older people haven't had to eat into so they're still up they don't have a mortgage so they're yeah they just yeah. Running. So the more ex- term deposits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So the more exposed you are to, to rates, the less savings you have right now mm. is sort of what that data is saying. Um, do we know what happened to 25 to 34? I know we didn't go down that low. No, we didn't have data for that. It might be that they just don't have deposits. The younger right. people. Yeah. <laughs> just didn't okay. bother to report on that age age 
cohort. All right, why don't we uh, take a breath here, go and get a word from this week's sponsor and be back with more Comedian versus Economist after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget FinFest 2023 is locked in November the 11th uh, at the Carriage Works in Sydney. So uh, if you missed it last year, make sure you get along this year. It's going to be epic again. Thomas, Lend-Lease has a new business model. What are they up to? Yeah, yeah. Lend-Lease, one of the biggest construction companies in the country. Um, Mm. They're looking to get into build to rent. BTR. So this is where not only do they build the apartments, units we're yep. typically talking about, uh, but they own them and rent them out. So they become a landlord as well. Oh, right. I was going to say, this doesn't seem like a new model to be like building apartments so that they can rent them out, but it's that they're going to do the renting as well yeah. as opposed to building them to sell them to then let someone else rent them out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, so they, the vast majority, that's that's how it works. The, the mm. construction company builds them and then sells them on and then... Yeah. Yeah, people, right. people rent them out, but okay. they're now yeah saying that they're looking to get into into that in Australia. They're initially targeting two thousand five hundred units, aim to grow it to more than five thousand over time, and looking to raise as much as a billion dollars in equity to do it. Is the plan? Mm. They've got heaps of money already, haven't they? Oh, maybe yeah, not. Maybe know. they've been maybe they've been hit hard as well. No, I think they're probably right. Yeah. So is is this good news for the rental market? This should mean heaps more properties coming on, shouldn't it? I'm going to say no. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, JLL estimate that yeah, BTR projects are taking off. There's you know, they've increased fifty percent in the past year alone. And, you know, people talk about this as being part of the solution to the Australian affordability crisis and the lack of rental housing stock, Mm. but it's really hard to see why. And if anything, you know, like you imagine replacing mum and dad investors, mum and dad landlords with Mm. a corporate landlord, it's kind of hard to see why that's going to be a better outcome. Oh, well, you moved out and went to uni. I stayed at home and had mum and dad as landlords for (laughs) some time. (laughs) mum had some crazy way of calculating rent where it was 10% of my income Uh, Um, which just really sapped my motivation to earn any more money (laughs) 10% shout out to all the renters paying 30 40% of their income right now. Yeah, rent. well this was this was yeah, this was early this is early 90s, late 90s maybe. Yeah, I mean the building sector is calling for tax subsidies 
or like mm. tax incentives to get into build build to rent. But what like one if there's lands available and there's a viable project, why not just do it? Like incentivizing landlord corporate landlords surely isn't part of the solution. Mm. Two, it's not clear that that BTR projects are cheaper. Like there's not a lot of data of this in the Australian context, but the Charter Keck Kramer is an uh, actuary, I think, but they analyze advertised rents at Mervac's LIV Indigo project, in, which is a build-to-rent project in Olympic Park in Sydney. Right. And they found that the rents there were, were 19% higher, like 19% ah. higher on a single bed, on a one-bedroom unit and 27% higher on a two-bedroom unit compared to comparable properties in the area. Really? So, yeah, so saying like on that project... Mm. Like they seem to be charged at a premium. Is that because corporations are just a bit more cutthroat? Do you think? Like, is that like if you had, if you do have mum and dad investors, they're kind of like, well, we're just going to set it. We think's a reasonable amount to cover the to cover the repayments on the investment and whatever. Like maybe once you start scaling it out and having corporations in charge of setting yeah. the rent, then they're kind of like, no, we're going to be a bit more brutal about it. We're going to you know really maximize what we can get out of it. Yeah, I mean potentially, like it's it's yeah, potentially that's the case. I mean it's hard to see removing the personal dimension from the rental story mm. creating a better outcome for renters. Mm. Do you know what I mean like by moving it to a purely numbers-based corporate driven structure, mm. how that's going to create a better outcome for renters. And yep. you, and you also got the American example, so it's it's really small here, but Lendlease has has is more active in America. In America, something like twenty percent of properties are owned by uh, corporations, twenty percent of rental rental companies, uh, rental right. properties. Um, some of those will be built to rent. Um, but yeah, but like there's some horror stories about you know people trying to get things fixed and having you know no way to find even find the company that owns their property. Right. Um, <laughs> to, 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 to ring the super <laughs> yeah i mean I, I just think it's interesting like like the sector's calling out for for government support to to increase build to rent it just doesn't feel like a solution and feels like a step backward if anything right are lend least the only ones getting in on the btr story in australia or is that uh, no i mean like there was that mervac project in, mm. in olympic park i think there's only a handful like so far the numbers just haven't stacked up but with you, you look at property rents are going up. They're, they're, you know, it's a rental crisis right now. Vacancy rates are, are low. Immigration's ramping up pretty in a pretty epic way. Demand for rental properties is through the roof. You can't get one for love or money. Rental prices are just going to keep going up from here. It makes total sense. Like, why wouldn't you own it? Like, mm. it's an asset that's appreciating in value, and returns are guaranteed to go up over the foreseeable future. Mm. Like. Why wouldn't you hang on to it? Yeah, where there's money to be made, you know, mm. people are, you know, corporations are going to are going to flock there. Um, mm. Is there any data? And I know you haven't got this to hand, and I primed you for this at all. But is there any data on the kind of profits, or like, do we track the profits that are involved in owning a rental? Do you know what I mean? Like, so I guess, like, do we do we track rentals as almost like um, an investment class on their own, or is that just considered? property do you know what i mean like so you mentioned that it's you get good returns on your capital but you also get the rental income like do we sort of measure or gauge how profitable rentals like owning a rent a place to rent is or is that is that not data that we track i mean you get yields data which compares rents to current prices 
Right. But that's current rents and current prices. So if you bought 10 years ago, you're looking at current rents to prices of 10 years ago. I haven't seen any data like that. Like I just wonder, like, is there some way we can know that now's a particularly good time to be owning a rental property because rents are through the roof and and the margin on the rent, so to speak, uh, um, yeah, yeah. like the margin of what it's costing you to own the property, you can, you're able to charge a lot more for rent, therefore your profit margins are a lot higher um, mm, mm. as opposed to what they were 10 years ago when yeah. maybe your profit margins were lower. Is that mm. a fair question? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen that data. You could calculate it. Like you could take the the average purchase price of every, like you could you could calculate this. You, you know what every investment property sold for, when it sold for. Mm. So you could compare current market rates to the average purchase price of, of the rental property and you could you could come up with sort of like an average margin somehow. So, yeah, it's an interesting idea. I haven't I haven't seen that done anywhere. Oh, well, maybe while you're uh, while you're stuck in a caravan, you could <laughs> make yourself useful. <laughs> All right, finally on the show today, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that we got the S in ESG wrong. Uh, it's not it's not uh, sustainability. It's social. Um, Lorna sent us an email, uh, cve at equitymates.com. Uh, she did correct us on that one. Thank you, Lorna, for that. But she said she's recently been uh, communicating or emailing back and forth with Woolworths over their promotion. Uh, I think that's the one where they're giving away Lego at the moment. My kids have been getting little bits of Lego bricks. Uh, and she's sort of called them out on how they can have uh, essentially ESG claims when they're dishing out little bits of plastic. Now, uh, Woolworths came back and said, look, the, the Woolworths bricks are made from 100%, 100% recycled plastic. The farm components can be returned to Woolworths. The purpose is to show the ecosystem of an Australian farm. And the farm, I don't know if this is the Lego farm, I think it might be, was certified GECA, meaning the collection has been independently assessed to meet robust environmental, human health and social impact criteria. This is a compliment, I think. You guys are smart enough to see the nonsense in each of these responses. I think I tend to agree with Lorna on this one, Thomas. The, and, and I think what this does is it really highlights the complexity in the whole ESG discussion that companies want to have ESG credentials. They want to they show them off to the world. Woolworths are trying to sort of do that, but at the same time they're giving away little bits of plastic. And I think there's maybe a misalignment here between you know, all of the credentials being it, it is recycled plastic, it can be returned. There's a mis- there's a misalignment there with the reality of being, you know, you and I are both parents. Mm. We know we're pretty much not taking Lego back to Woolworths to be recycled. So even though no. it's made from from plastic, it's probably going to end up literally five minutes after the kids have, have finished playing with it in landfill. And so, mm. I don't know, I, I think it's a really good point that Lorna makes. I think, you know, that... It, Woolworths as saying they're doing the right thing and, and you know, and they are to a point uh, if everything else remains equal, if everyone else does their bit. Yeah, so I think it's a really good email. Um, she did she did say uh, perhaps us here at, at Equity Mates, a comedian versus economist, we could put our collective creative minds together to demonstrate a promotion that achieves the stated objective without creating an ESG horror. Lorna, I'm not sure if you caught our latest hat promotion where we gave away away a hat. (laughs) If you could guess all the names in the intro. Uh, That was a disaster. 
Uh, and in fact, Alan, I can I can tell you, is still waiting on his hat because I haven't even posted it yet. <laughs> um. <laughs> that's right. Zero carbon on on shipping even. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We are totally carbon neutral on that promotion. <laughs> and, in fact, we gave away a, a hat that already existed. We didn't even have it yeah, made for Saved the it from landfill. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our ESG credentials here on CV at least are rock mm. solid. Like, it kind of is it's a funny point, but it's exactly right. Like if you do nothing, that's the only way to guarantee that you're being sustainable. <laughs> 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 that's our that's our ESG goal here at CBE yeah. is do nothing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. Economic activity is hard to decarbonize, mm. like any sort, even with the best intentions. It's yeah. really hard, like in in the way the world's set up at the moment. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's a collective effort. I think Woolworths Hearts in the right place. Like it's nice. They're glorifying farms. It's probably underrepresenting the monoculture that goes into Australian farming in aggregate, but. Yeah, I think their heart's in the right place, and they're not alone here. Like we're not, we're not trying to, we're not trying to can Woolworths really here. This is mm-hmm. this is just an example, I think, of yeah, of as I say, the complexity across everyone trying to get around ESG and trying to trying to, mm. to act responsibly, but at the same time, they're trying to run a business and trying to do a promotion. Mm. And I think they they Woolworths did try. Uh, they gave away plants and seeds mm. for a while. Do you remember that? Seeds, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, it was us to make up for the for the plushie disaster. Right. Right, like <laughs> giving away plushies and everyone's, this is just plastic, just yeah, relentless plastic. I, I did notice, though, that the seeds were a lot of flowers. There wasn't, they didn't want to cut their own lunch and give away vegetable <laughs> seeds. <laughs> Here you go. Can't eat dandelions. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I think a really interesting point. Uh, thank you so much, Lorna, for sending through your email. If you'd like to email us, you can send us through at cve at equitymates.com uh, or hit us up on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. Uh, it is a fascinating discussion and you kind of see both sides, but really do appreciate you sending through your email, Lorna. Uh, that is it for us for this week. Thomas, uh, thank you for your caravan. We got through it. Time. <laughs> We survived. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, very much appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't rated and reviewed the show yet, we'd really love it if you did. Head over uh, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, and leave us a rating. That'd be great. Uh, but for us this week, it is bye for now. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.